0: Welcome to Empathy Power Up, a collaboration of two people who connected during the pandemic through their love of empathy and action. Two people from very different backgrounds helping each other find ways to love themselves, understand their experiences better, and help reverse the rise of narcissism and the divides in our communities.
1: We will cover various topics about the human experience to help us power up on tools of empathy and emotional intelligence in the pursuit of one simple goal. Create a world where people seek to understand themselves and each other. This is a learning journey amongst fellow humans. We're all just figuring out life together. We can build workplaces that are engines of well-being, showing workers that they matter, that their work matters, and that they have the workplace resources and support necessary to flourish. This is a quote from a 30-page Surgeon General's framework for workplace mental health and well-being, which offers a foundation that workplaces can build upon. We will link the report in our show notes so you can check it out yourself. And we found we this report is under the banner on, on the US Surgeon General website under the current priorities. We talked about what a modern workplace looks like in our previous episode. And in our journey to now build towards what a generative organization and a culture looks like, we found this report from the US Surgeon General, Dr. Murthy. And as part of the work from the federal government from the post-pandemic, they have come together and published in 2022, October. And there's a lot of interesting insights that are coming from this report, and some of them are, I, I feel, are a little scary as well. The research survey discovered that 84% of respondents said that their workplace conditions had contributed to at least one mental health challenge. 81% want to move to a company that supports their mental health and well-being. And this is this report is in the context of building a healthy workplace, but what's unique and what I like about this work that it is focused on human needs. And the human needs transcend work. It goes from work to personal lives to just general because our life right now is more integrated than just separate in the most part between work and personal lives. So thinking about this broadly is what I I like about this as well. And and I can sort of extrapolate from uh, this report further. Um, When we work back from human needs, it enables this framework to be applied to our lives, our families, our communities. And what's great is that this is centered on equity and elevating worker voice. And we're going to talk more about this and we're going to leverage this report as a foundation and some of the work that Amy, you've done in your book in in diving deep into each of these components and human needs so that we can start learning on how we can serve these needs because we all have them and how we can advocate for them and how we can Iteratively build towards a life in a workplace and in community where we are centering our voice, we are centering equity, and we are working to fulfill these needs for ourselves and our community and our colleagues and our workplaces. So, before we jump in, I wanted to t- dive a little bit into Dr. Vivek Murthy, who is our, the United States Surgeon General, and he prioritized this creation of this framework because of his personal experience. It is based on 200 resources and built to support the outcome of workplace mental health and well-being. And I'd like to share a little bit of his story. Um, He grew up in Miami, and he says he often spent his after-school hours and weekends in the small clinic that his parents ran. And as he watched his immigrant parents work, he could see that their jobs provided them with not only a paycheck, but also the sense of purpose and dignity in community. The connection between their work and their mental health and their well-being was clear and they knew it. And so that's what, that was a quote from him. Like he saw that and for all the financial hardships and social struggles they faced during those years, their work allowed them to support the family. And connect with others and find meaning. And seeing that, seeing Doctor their his parents, Doctor Murthy, uh, seeing his parents work and help, like this work, help them thrive, sort of inspired him to say, "Okay, look, this is work gives them meaning. It's fulfilling so many different needs." But we have a the data is telling us that there is there is in, in, a problem where people are reporting mental health issues working. And so how do we sort of get to this sort of, quote unquote, American dream that he witnessed through his parents as well? And so the pandemic sparked a reckoning among many workers who no longer feel that sacrificing their health, family, and communities for work is an acceptable trade-off. Organizations are also increasingly aware of another trade-off. When the mental health of workers suffers, so does workplace productivity, creativity, and retention.
0: Hmm. So what I see in this report is that Dr. Murphy and his office are really ringing the alarm bell for many people across the, the world and the U.S., and they provide a case for change and a foundation to begin. And uh, as I read through this back in October, um, I realized that more structure and equitable access to healing is really needed to address some of these deep-seated challenges that we're seeing um, and also, as I was reading, I also also saw how complex this all is, like how complex the system is that's been designed a certain way, but how complex it is to redesign and rethink what our workplaces might look like. Um, and it's also going to take multiple approaches to solve this big challenge that we're having. It's not a one silver bullet solution. So... It's really going to take us time to, on the individual, the organization, and societal level to make a dent into this problem. And there's so many facets to it. So that's, that's the thing that I was thinking about when I was reading the report for the first time, but um, I'm also wanted to provide some like historical, like significance here. I like to look at the past to help us understand the present and I think about that story that you just shared, um, Kevin. And I think um uh, Dr. Murphy's parents are lucky to have found a job where they find purpose, they can see their dignity and their community within their work. And and also that that was something that they could support their family and find mean meaning in this complex world that we're in. And so I think that's a very uh it's it's something that I not every job allows us to have, you know? So our attitudes and behaviors around the workplace have shifted a lot since uh Dr. Murphy was young. Um, in in a generation, I've seen my working class working class parents go from working in the same community and same company for 45 years to now I'm I'm an entrepreneur working in my fourth career. And I'm always shifting and changing. So I don't can't even imagine being in a place for 45 years, right? And the workplaces aren't as invested in their employees. And then conversely, the loyalty of employees is waning as well. So I've been wondering how how much were our ancestors really invested in their work? Or were they living in fear that they shouldn't leave their job? Or they lose they they would lose their pension and have to start all over again, or was their work a means to an end, to raise a family and to build a life that wasn't centered on work. And this I'm sure, no, no stories like this are a monolith, but there's so many stories to tell and not one specific through line. I'm sure, um, but those are the things that have been coming up for me. I also think about the role that women have played in the workplace, which has changed so drastically from when my parents were young. And I remember when my mother was young, she was told she could either be a secretary or a nurse. That's her, the two professions she could be, and that's it. And of course, there was an expectation that she'd be a homemaker and it'd pop out a couple children along the way. And that was the extent of the possibilities for her. So when she dreamed of a career, she was limited in her daydreaming. When she did select a career in nursing, she stayed in that position and held on for dear life to protect her family. So I know that so much has changed around us that our companies haven't kept up with the changes and needs of the workforce today. And I wanted to share a few interesting trends that I've been happening in the past 50 years since the 1970s. Um, And this is research that I've did in my book, but also since my book, going deeper in some of the works and lectures that I've done. And so uh, there's two interesting books that go deeper into culture, especially American culture in the past 50 years. So Um, After World War II, until the mid-70s, places were getting more alike, and now they're getting less alike, and one of those factors is political difference. So what is happening, and this is from Bill Bishop and Robert Cushing, they're the authors of The Big Sort, And they looked at publicly available data, and they found that Americans are sorting themselves with people who look and think like us, and then we create homogenous communities. So these communities are becoming more different than each other. So those who are drawn to cities have more education, technically, usually have higher paying jobs, are are single compared to rural areas with more blue-collar jobs, families, and lower cost of living. Um, that trend has been growing since the 1970s. And then a second statistic that has been occurring in the past 50 years is that we are becoming more individualistic and less focused on community. So a book that, hap- that was written and published at the turn of the century um, by um, Robert Putnam called Bowling Alone um, turned, looked at data to say that it's Um, that in the 20th century, the U.S. was trending towards deeper engagement into the life of their communities. And he called this social capital. So it refers to the connections among individuals, social networks, and the norms of reciprocity and trustworthiness that arise from them. So in short, it's really diving into our communities. And and, and becoming more connected um, in, in our social lives. Um, but then he said, in the 1970s, silently without warning, that tide reversed and we were overtaken by a treacherous current. Without first noticing, we have been pulled apart from one another and from our communities over the last third of the century. And so he saw this um, these measures and social capital political world civic participation religion religion our workplace informal networks um mutual trust and also altruism um and the reason why it's called the book is called bowling alone because um since the 1980s um the league bowling was really big into this in the 70s and 80s and it's dropped 40% in just 20 years um so it just it's just a visual to say that you know what we're what's happening what once was of where us coming together is now we're doing this alone, and it's an interesting um mindset and so he found that Americans aren't joining the groups and clubs that promote trust and cooperation between people and so what he found and uh was it in his research and in his mind um as he was like thinking about what this could happen is. He thought that um, this is happening because television and technology said, and, and he says, we have changed our environment more quickly than we know how to change ourselves. And in, and then g- fast forward a little bit. This is uh, you know 11 years later. Dr. Sarah Conrath publishes this book about narcissism being on the incline and empathy being on the decline. And there's a sharp decline beginning at the turn of the millennium. And so she also suggests why empathy might be on the decline is changes in personality and culture, societal changes, um, and, and then changes in empathy feeding back into society. So it's kind of a reciprocal environment there. And so some things that, that have led to this is certainly media and technology, increase in violence and bullying, you know, challenging, uh, changing family and parenting practices, and then our own changing expectations of success, you know, our like my said, my parents, you know, it just changed in a generation. So I think to sum this all up, the thing that I want to bring back is this quote by Putnam that mentioned that we have changed our environment more quickly than we know how to change ourselves. That that really sits with me. And I think that's exactly where we are. We haven't caught up to where we are and what we want to be. And the pandemic has shoved us in that direction.
1: Yeah. And I think it's such a interesting point because there's two things. One, he talks about that removed from this community mindset, or at least we were heading towards the community mindset, and then sort of this individualism is is sort of come into a bigger view, and and this individualism is, you know, take care of yourself, and that's it. And, and in reality, it was take care of yourself by taking care of your community, mm-hmm, and I think that mm-hmm. second part has been removed, and that's a very I think. Um, it's part of the playbook of so much of fascism, colonization, where it's divide and conquer. If we Mm -hmm. remove that second half, community part, then individually we are very weak. We are alone. But as Mm -hmm. a community, we are strong. And I think that is sort of that coming through. And then the second aspect is because of this rapid um, um, pursuit towards extreme capitalism that we are living in, we are changing and evolving and innovating at faster than people and our system and our ecosystem and our planet can even absorb or understand or adapt. And and that that's what this quote sort of sits with me for as well, is because it's this idea that it takes some time for us to be thoughtful, to us to process. Um, I and people take information and process information at different rates. I sometimes process slowly and sometimes fast, and my partner processes information. Um sometimes it takes them one in, uh, in, uh, step at a time to process. And when everything around us is changing, it, it's overwhelming, it's scary. And, and then we want to then prevent change instead of trying to adapt. And And I think that this quote is very powerful there.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you for that sharing that piece. I think we have changed our environment more quickly than we know how to change ourselves. And so, you know, I, I think about artificial intelligence, you know, that's been coming up in a bigger way and how that's affecting and it's just blowing up everywhere we are. And, and like the, the thing is like, we're, we're being reactive to it rather than, you know, being, um, being proactive. And I think that's important to note. Um, And the pandemic really was a perfect storm Uh, We are already heading in this direction that I was mentioning and the series of global events, you know, for example, hate crimes against uh, anti-Asian Americans, LGBTQIA, BIPOC communities, the murder of George Floyd and the uprisings around it, war in Ukraine, the rise of gun violence. Like, these are just like a few of the things that we've had to overcome just in the past like- three or four years
1: or we're still working on me. I don't even know if we (laughs) have overcome. It's like, we're still dealing with it. Right.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's, and I have been writing about it and thinking about it deeply. Like, I feel like we're just at this crossroads as we emerge from the pandemic where the pandemic is not over. Right. And we have experienced collective and individual trauma. So, uh, there's a, um, a woman who uh, named Stacey Haynes, and she's the author of The Politics of Trauma. And she mentions that trauma is a sense of experiences and or impacts from social conditions that break or betray our inherent need for safety, belonging, and dignity. So if you look at those things that I mentioned and all the things we've gone through This, all of these things have been threatened, you know, our needs for safety, belonging, and dignity, which shows we have so much trauma to process. And, uh, and also through some, some uh, latest data was saying that therapists to whom we go to process trauma trauma or unable or unable to meet the demand, um, A 2022 American Psychological Association study that found that six in 10 psychology, because psychologists are no longer have openings, um, the need for therapy is soaring, Um, about three quarters of practitioners are seeing their wait list expand. And in that same period, almost 80% of practitioners report an increase in patients with anxiety disorders, and 66% have seen an increase in those needing treatment for depression. So that's if you can get into the room, right, and to see a therapist. But and the sheer cost of therapy makes it out of reach for many Americans who are trying to make a decision to put food on the table or to manage their mental health. So that that's showing a bleak picture. We're coming out of this. Our workplaces are not working for many of us now um, because we have not been able to catch up with, with the changes that are happening around us. And according to Gallup's st- state of work, global workplace report, 60% of workers are emotionally detached, 19% are miserable, uh, only 30% really feel engaged, and you know, more than half of workers are stressed at their jobs daily. 41% are worried, 22% are sad, and 18% are angry. And one in five workers plan to quit in 2022. And more than two thirds of those people who they talk to are seeking more fulfillment at work. So it's it's interesting to see that. So it's... um. You know, even it's more, even more potent for women as for every one woman promoted this year, two decided to leave. Um, And this is in the leadership roles. Um, And this is a McKinsey and company study that was done with lean in people with women do more sponsorship, hold DEI responsibilities and check in with employees more on wellness workload and balance, and they don't get rewarded for it and then are then leaping and wanting to have more fulfilling work in places where they can thrive. And so there's so many places on top of that, healthcare, education, and human resources professions, which has been really hit the hardest, are very disproportionately um, made up of women. So all of this data is painting this bigger picture of the problems we're experiencing And the stories shared above talk a little bit more about why they might be occurring. So our attitudes and beliefs are shifting. We're becoming more individualistic and separated into homogenous communities. Media and technology advancements have has had to change faster than the rest of us could keep up. And the pandemic has pressed pause on a huge portion of our lives, but also accelerated other parts of it. So we're experiencing a lot of whiplash and still coming out of the haze as we emerge.
1: Yeah, and and I think all of this rich data and what you're sharing is, is highlighting that yes, we're talking more about mental health. Yes, the people are, and then people are really, we're in a space where we need support, people need support. And so uh, one of the causes is workplace, where it's stressful, it's not supported, where people are the people aren't centered. And so, and then we don't, we don't have the support system that can even band-aid the problem. We, we don't even have the band-aid solution, which is access to therapists. And so I think it's so important. And that's why I think the all of this highlights the urgency and why this is what current priority with the US Surgeon General. And this framework is informed by the by decades of public health, economic, sociological, and organizational psychology, uh, psychology research. And it includes the voices of many workers and unions based in a variety of occupations and sectors, so things like retail, childcare, education, hospitality, travel, agriculture, construction, manufacturing, grocery, technology, finance, utilities, government, and healthcare. And it was all informed by conversations with workplace leaders as well as academic and industry experts. While all of this, uh, it was not an exhaustive literature review of the uh, of the evidence base, the framework was developed based on uh, desk research as well as numerous conversation expert roundtables. So it's great to see like how deep they had to go in all these different industries to sort of extract and get the data that they're looking for and build this framework, which let's dive right in, which includes five essentials, what they call essentials for workplace mental health and well-being. These are protection from harm, connection and community, work-life harmony, mattering at work, opportunity for growth. And each of these are essentials for humans to thrive. And when we listen to the list and read it out loud, it seems pretty obvious that oh, these oh yeah, these are all great for workplace health, and uh, health and well-being. Um, and what the framework does is that it breaks each of these essentials uh, down into two components, two fundamental needs that we all have. Um, for example, protection from harm, harm highlights the need for safety and security. So humans want to feel safe. We want to feel secure. And in the upcoming episodes, we're going to dive into each of these. We're going to talk about these. We're going to bring some data. We're going to bring some context and talk about how we can iteratively detect whether we're feeling safe, whether we're feeling secure, how we get there, how do we advocate for our needs. And then more than two in five workers surveyed by the American Psychological Association in 2022 reported that Health and safety concerns negatively affect their stress level at work, and we hear this example like farmer and like uh, workers who are working on farms. They are working in really really bad conditions. They don't get breaks. They're in the sun. Their health conditions are bad, and that's just one extreme example. But it's 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 a systemic issue that we're seeing. And then center of we talked about center of this framework is equity and worker voice. And we d- talked about equity in our last episode, which is a really important component. And then this, I, this second aspect, which is work worker voice, is the inclusion of voices of all the ple- people involved in the work, rather than just the leadership. So let's just do a quick summary of the of the essentials that we're going to talk about in our future episodes.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm going to go first with with first off protection from harm. Here are the components of that. Prioritizing workplace physical and psychological safety, enabling adequate rest, um, both normalizing and supporting mental health, and then operationalizing diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility norms, policies, and programs. And when we go to connection and community, the next section Uh, The components is creating a culture of inclusion and belonging, cultivating trusted relationships, fostering collaboration and teamwork. And then the third grouping is, uh, is around work life harmony. And that is comprised of um, creating more autonomy over how our work is done, making schedules flexible and predictable as possible um, increasing access to paid leave and respecting our boundaries between our work time and our non work time, which is something that showed up in the pandemic um, in a big way. Like it all blended together. And so now we have to respect those times.
1: Yeah. And then the other two that are in the framework mattering at work, things like providing a living wage. Um, engaging workers in workplace decisions, building a culture of gratitude and recognition, connecting individual work with organizational mission. And then the last one is opportunity for growth. And these include offering quality training, education, and mentoring, fostering clear equitable pathways for career advancement, and ensuring relevant reciprocal feedback. And each of these have those needs, just like we said, protection from harm has security and safety. Each of these have these Different fundamental needs for humans: so co- connection, community, have social support and belonging. And as you can see, when we heard the, the, hear these words, um, you're like, "Yeah, I want social support. I want to feel belong, uh, the sense of belonging. Work-life harmony has autonomy and 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 wanting flexibility. So we can, everyone's life is different. So we can sort of work in our condition instead of trying to apply everyone else's. Uh, um, flexibility. And then mattering at work has dignity and meaning. We want to have a sense of meaning. We want to feel like we have a, we uh, we have, we're maintaining our dignity, opportunity, opportunity for growth as learning and accomplishment. So all of these needs sort of come together and we're going to dive deep into each of
0: these. Mm -hmm. And, and what I love about this framework, the five sections is it creates a language that we can use um and, and a direction that we can run as practitioners of this work. And I also find that looking at this framework, um, by the fact that the Surgeon General is raising, is kind of like, like I said, raising, putting the alarm bell out, it's it's essentially saying that this is a problem, we're recognizing it. It's been a long time coming, uh, but now now people will, of band together hopefully and 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 you know that's why we're sharing this on the podcast so that we can align our work and our efforts in that direction it's kind of showing say like okay we're running in this direction and it's providing um some plain language ways of doing it but the thing is we have we have this fire lit underneath us but there's no pathway to do that right So there's this five spokes of the framework and the 10 subtopics underneath and this season um, we'll be focusing on that and we'll look at it, we'll definitely be looking at it through the lens of empathy, compassion, humility, um, which I see is the through line that connects all these pieces of this framework together. So, and, and so in short, I think if we build a culture of compassion and empathy, we're able to hold our mental health and well-being at the same time. So these were the kinds of thoughts that went into um, building building my own framework around called the Empathy and Action Framework, which takes kind of this whole body approach to redesigning the systems that we're in. So what I what it does, and I've even expanded upon it. I've even changed the name of it since I published my book. But it focuses on our head, our heart, our hands, and then even our gut feelings and intuition. Right? Like, what is our gut feeling telling us? Because that guides us, and it makes it all real and turns it into this actionable insight to, to the problems that we're facing. So. You know, the first episode we had, we asked how might we collaborate and engage with people in a 21st century, right? How, how can we uh, focus on purpose that guides us? And it's helping us to change the system for everyone, that we can co-create that system. Um, so this framework grew out of a challenge that was given four years ago to build a 21st century government agency. You'll hear that story in this this season, Um, But I was definitely well before my time working in the federal government, that framework never really got realized, but now I can be outside and kind of share that story and build this framework out and many iterations later, um, I revisited this initial framework that I created, and underneath all of it is this idea that we have to get a movement of people to make change happen. But also, there are some mandates that we need to kind of have at the top of it. So sometimes we need incentives to act, and policies and structures to create that world. So you know, just to talk, tell a little bit more about this framework, I have an entire guide that goes deep. If you want to, I'll put it in the show notes so you can view it if you want to. But when I talk about the heart, um, which is where the framework starts it's we're looking at like what is what do we want to do if we have to center around purpose and people we and if we don't start there we're we're actually lost the why of why we're doing this work the head is focused to our minds and our brains and how we're conditioned looking at the principles and values that guide us and then also seeing what kind of policies do we want to set for ourselves and in the systems that we're in the hand is also how we put this into action. It's the practices we do every day, the process by which we do our work. But also, how can we center that on empathy, equity, and that humility? And, um, you know, at the end of the day, how do we learn new skills and look at our process in a different way to make it better in the long run for everybody? And the thing that I added was this idea of gut right this intuition the sensing that we need to do to sense what the what the world needs from us what other people need at the end of the day yeah so, and i think i think and, this idea and, of
1: sensing you said which is really you know, like this important aspect and that connects this where I'm recently starting to really listen to my body, listen to the feelings and that like, oh, my body knows before I do some of the time, a lot of the times. Yeah. What the, I, I, and the difference is it is part of me, but it's the it's the sensing and then resolve, taking that data and understanding it and then following, le- uh, instead of leading, I'm following that feeling. And I think mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. sort of comes down to the, the framework you shared is like, if we lean into our um the head the heart the hand and this the sensing of the feeling we're able to then find a path towards those goals that were this framework sets for us and all of this sort of we you know the podcast is called a podcast is called empathy power up so it <laughs> makes sense that we're we're able to see the connection between what what a healthy workplace and what uh, you know where we can have well-being it comes from this this um uh, empathy foundation
0: mhm yeah and and that's that's what i i've been seeing is that like we haven't been able to catch up our our systems haven't been able to catch up to where we are um and so i think that that is something that is just so important and also just like that sensing piece noticing what's around us and incorporating that into how can we be better, uh, create better culture for ourselves and a better structure that works in a bigger way. Um, and so to kind of close the, up this episode, I wanted to share some principles that, that I, uh, I write about and I think about when it comes to, um, as we lead this framework. And I think this is a good place where, the mental health and well-being framework by the surgeon general's office and my framework come together. And number 1, uh there's three principles. The first one is lead with humanity. So w- humans are wired for connection and relationships, so we have to build a community rather than a network that only sees a portion of who we are. So honor lived experience and people with living experience. So the workers, what are they experiencing? How do you bring their voice to the work? And go from individual to collective good, centered on those those voices that might've been quieted in the past. and, um, And those dominant ones might've been heard before, but let the other ones speak. Number two, be participatory and open. So this is a place where we're now moving from a place of taking power that uh, people once had and sharing it with others. Co-create with people who would be affected by the change you seek to make or give that some power to them. So, and create in an open and transparent way and other people can get involved as you do this work. And it involves like a different mindset. And number three is embrace change. And our lives are constantly changing around us. We're even changing inside of ourselves, um, but we don't always have control on what happens to us. We can choose how to respond. um, And that's the only thing we really have control over. And we have to trust our intuition, our experience. At the end of the day, all that will guide us in this bigger world as we go into trusting our gut. And so um, the quote i want to leave leave us with today and then i'll go into our final question for this episode is this quote by margaret mead that has stayed with me for years now but i think this is related to what we're about to talk about this season and it's uh never doubt that a small group of thoughtful committed citizens can change the world indeed it's the only thing that ever has so the question we have for you today is to take a look at that framework for mental health and well-being. What areas does your inner child want Empathy Power Up is produced by and Amy what J. Is most Wilson lacking and Kevin Shaw, two people scenario? who bonded over their love for creating a deeper sense of empathy in the world. You can reach Amy at RealAmyJWilson and Kevin at Shah Kevin.